Before we get started today, I want to thank all of our Faithful Refuge Project podcast listeners. We have lots of great things coming up for you real soon, but we have one big note that we want to let you know that all of our podcasts will be launched on Thursdays instead of the Mondays as usual. So be stay stay tuned for all the Thursday podcasts. Also, Calvin Emmons is going to be a two-part series. It was a three-hour podcast. We want to give you the best listening experiences possible and keep you coming back for more. So share this with your family and friends. Let's get right into the show with Brother Calvin Inman. Welcome to The Refuge Project. The Refuge Project is a place that we can have meaningful conversation in a safe place. We are your hosts. We got Pastor Caesar here today. Yo. Got James. That's me, hey. And we got a special guest. We got Calvin Inman. Here, here, here. How you guys doing, man? I'm glad to be doing this again. We yeah, haven't done this yeah. in forever. So we, we recorded a whole bunch of these during the pastor's conference, and we've been... Um, Letting them out a, a one at one a week, uh, trying to figure out how we was going to continue to do this podcast and things changed. And here we are sitting down face to face again. That's yeah, good. it's good. It's good. Yeah, just don't cough on me. Yeah. Right. Exactly. We're all we're all four and a half feet apart. So our breath is still deadly. <laughs> you know, I just started a uh, I just started a nine to five not too long ago. So that that definitely threw a uh, a wrench in our uh, in our regular schedule and how we did it. But I've been listening to uh, to the ones you guys recorded for the uh, convocation. And they were fantastic. I had such a good time just being a listener of this podcast. So, you know, I uh, what, what do they say? Uh, don't smoke your own supply. <laughs> you know what? I've been taking it in. You know, it's a high. I am a listener of the Refuge Project. It's funny because I've been going, they've been going, hey, what happened to Pastor Caesar? <laughs> Did y'all kick him off his podcast? <laughs> he was just up in the kitchen. And we've, cooking, been, we've been talking about moral failures for these last couple of months. It's like, what happened? What happened? Oh, great. So, I, <laughs> scandal. So, just to be honest, we had to sit Pastor Caesar down for a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some of his uh, comments on earlier podcasts, you can go back and see them. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, no, Pastor Caesar's been working some stuff out, and we would we, we want him on the podcast, so we just we're, we're making a way. So, yeah. but man, we are glad to have you you guys back. I know that uh, it's been a good time. Our um, pastors' conference ones were great. I thought um, Jason King was just phenomenal. He had got gave a lot of uh, insight on. Uh, I love on his pra- church. I love his practicality. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's practical ministry, and I think that's right down Elam's lane. Yeah. Uh, we're not, uh, uh, you know, we're not necessarily flowing necessarily in the prophetic. We all know ministries that are like that, right? But uh, um, I, but yeah, I just I'm in love with practical ministry. I think practical ministry it's uh, it's where it's it's at um, as far as good foundational teaching you're not on the fringe on any end and you're able to 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 just see believers living a living a balanced life you know so anyway that's that's what i really took from that episode from uh, from pastor jason king and uh, i got curious so i went and i looked at their church and how they run things because he was talking about a lot of uh I guess just the way that they flow through service and all that, and and yeah, that was a really good flow. I was that, that's what I went to go see, not necessarily the quality of the preaching because we know he can preach and all that stuff, but I wanted to go back and just look at how other people do church and 
And that's a place that if I would see it, I said, I'd like to go visit there. It looks fun. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed Jason King. He had a just a genuine heart about him. You know, even from a pastoral standpoint, you know, you can get some guys like, uh, oh, Randy, you know, he's just ready to blow and go. Yeah. And Jason really had a heart to sit down with people and, and explain, look, this is not what I want to do. I really feel like God is taking us in another direction, practically. So let's sit down and do this. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that's really the heart of a pastor anyway. Yeah. Got to keep the weird out, right? Yeah, the, That the, was great. Great the, tagline. That is a tagline yeah, right yeah, there. The army of shofars that showed up at his church. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just, yeah. you know, because I know you guys, you know, so it's like I, I, whenever James said, you just have a whole bunch of people with shofars. <laughs> <laughs> I was so confused. I was so confused because he was acting like that. He had a whole choir of them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> do, do, do. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, well, I, I, I can feel that. You know, I, I can feel what you're talking about because it's the same thing with me and tambourines. You know what I mean? But you know, I always looked at it from a different perspective. So I've always looked at the flags, the shofars, from my perspective, which was really good that he brought up. Listen, if this is God's first time in church. You know, it's, what are they thinking? Like, what's weird going on in this church? You know what I'm saying? So I never really thought about, I I always thought it might have been a little bit different. Um, I can just imagine sitting, sitting there as a new person in church and just like, wow, this is, you know, this is really a nice, man, they got it comfortable in here. And then you got somebody over here with the shofar. You don't even know that they're behind. And you're just like, and you just, oh my God. Is happening right here. Whatever that is, I don't want it. I'm out. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that just went left. Yep. Yeah, that was funny. A lot funny. of weird things happen in church. Yeah, you know, but they're just a part of church. But a lot of weird yeah. things happen anywhere. Well, the thing about it is, we don't get to pick the people that come. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So every once in a while, you get a few, man. You get you get a few that are a little bit different than everybody else, which is okay. You know. <laughs> Which is okay. I want to give a shout out to New Zealand coming in strong. What? Finland. I think we we mentioned Finland. Romania is another new one. And Honduras. Thank you, Honduras, for coming in. Honduras came in from uh, Brother Randy Travis. Uh, Travis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. We got some big names Ooh. on there. There we uh, go. Travis Moffitt. <laughs> uh, Travis Moffitt. Uh, so that's, he has some people coming in and listening. So uh, we're just pushing right along. The United States map, I sent it out. And, uh, it's it, you know, we're, we're, we're dominating the, the South. So if you know anybody up in the north, send them send them a link and let them know about the refuse project. Florida, we appreciate you. We know we, we talk a lot about your craziness, but we do appreciate you. We love you, Florida. Yeah, they coming in strong, man. Yeah. Florida, we much love to Florida. They've been wide open the whole Corona thing. You know what I'm saying? They just like, nah, we ain't shutting down. We just going full board. Uh, corona doesn't affect the swamps in Florida. They just going yeah, they, them and their Crocs. Oh, yeah. They full, They all in. They all <laughs> in. They all in. All right, so let's just jump right into Culture yeah. Corner. Yeah. Turn up my snare. I'm about to go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. <laughs> Hold up. <laughs> I all thought right. you were about to get in there. Hey, I Hold up. Man, hold up. Got too much coffee in my cup. <laughs> you guys can't see this, but Caesar's got a polka dot coffee mug and it says, I got this. <laughs> and he's just sipping it away, about to freestyle. Well, we got two coffee cups. 
Mine and everybody else's. <laughs> <laughs> so he got everybody else's. He got what everybody else's. <laughs> as long as I got coffee on the inside, I don't care yeah. what is on the outside. <laughs> That's funny. All right, James, what you got over there? All right, so... Everybody knows Akon, except for Calvin, it turns out. Yeah. Um, I sang him a song. I said, you know, nobody want to see us together. And he looked at me like he had no idea He was just on. like, no. What was his first single? Like, his first, first single? I don't know. We'll look that up. But what about Akon? Akon. He's making his own city in Africa. What was mm-hmm. the name of the town? Seagal? Seagal? Se- no. Wakanda. No, okay. So it's basically going <laughs> to... Senegal. That was what it was called. Uh, and he's calling it Akon City, which I think is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to have their own form of currency. It's mm-hmm. going to be called, what do they call it, the A-Coin? A-Coin. And, uh, but aside from how ridiculous that sounds, it's going to be like a $6 billion project. They're making it's going to be like the city of I the I want to love you. About feature Snoop Dogg. <laughs> yeah, there, was that the first one? Yeah, it was his first single. The first single that popped, I guess, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, but yeah, so he's making his own city w- in Africa. And that is nationality? Like, like that's yes. where he's from? Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. I've heard that he does a lot of, like, humanitarian work and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Like, he's done a lot. For so him. that's, like, the point. It's going to be, like, Africa's new thing. Bring in a bunch of money. And uh, what was the thing we read about him bringing? Uh, he said something about. Not gonna only is he going to bring people in to uh, visit this uh, city, but he's also making a place for. African Americans that have been um, been racially oppressed or something res- like racially that. oppressed <clears throat> to come live come there. Hmm. Yeah. So I thought that was very interesting. How he is um, racially oppressed. Yeah, making a place for people that feel like they don't belong in America because of their color of their skin. Yeah. To go back to their origin country. Mm-hmm. Um, which is very interesting. Yeah. Very, mm-hmm. very interesting. Because I've heard that conversation of people like, go back to your country, right? Because as a Latino, I hear that all the time, too. Uh, well, not all the time. But it's not <laughs> even fair for Latinos because we moved the line on y'all. <laughs> but, but it's right. We're like, no, we're going to move the line down. We're taking that land. So where are y'all supposed to go? It's like, go back where you're here, from. I'm okay, like, here we go to Griggs. That's where I'm from. I mean, go back. Uh, but anyways, I thought that was kind of interesting where yeah. he's going to dedicate a portion of this city to... Um, African Americans that feel that way. So I didn't see any date in the article of like when it's supposed to be completed. I'm sure it's going to take quite a while. Twenty twenty six. That said, what it was. Yeah, it said it's beginning construction twenty twenty one, and completing somewhere around twenty twenty six. I believe is. Yeah, but you said. know construction projects. Yeah, so, they last. Yeah. Year. you're talking about a whole city. I'm talking especially because they ain't got the Espanols down there to get it done. <laughs> <laughs> you can find a whole bunch of us off of telephone Griggs. I, I, I had a, a, a Spanish friend tell me one time, or somebody was maybe it was somebody. Steve was telling me this morning. Matter of fact, he goes, "They, you know, they said that Rome wasn't built in a day because they didn't have any Mexicans." Yeah. <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. And they would have done it cheaper. Yeah. They would have done it cheap. It uh, probably wouldn't have lasted. But it you know, but in this case, right? They didn't like that part. <laughs> No, I didn't even. I was already thinking about my response in my own head. In this case, it you know, I just like whenever you start a brand new church, right? 
I mean, you get a chance to pick and choose what you like and really define the culture that, you, you know what I mean? So this might not be a bad idea. That's like a when, whole city. Yeah, it's but. It's supposed to have all the latest state-of-the-art technology. Well, so it's everything. Wakanda. Exactly. It, it's that's Wakanda. Exactly yeah. what it is. There's going to be so many high-water skinny jeans there. Oh, man. Now, that'll be out of fashion by the time it's done. You think done. so? I hope so, man. <laughs> 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 Oh, you know what's worse is the suits, the high water suits. Oh, man. Yeah, so I think it's going to be interesting. So this is going to be a totally futuristic, self-sustaining, solar-powered. Yeah, solar-powered. Um, they're going to have their own cryptocurrency. They're going to have a... <laughs> the uh, something about a database system. They're gonna some. They're gonna yeah, do I hold all their that. own. It's gonna be called Acorn. Acorn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm always on board when like super rich people are like, "Hey, I want to go do this new thing. It's gonna be a big thing." And then they start like naming it after themselves. All these cheesy things. I'm like, ah, mm-hmm. kind of ruining it a little bit. <laughs> you know what? Acorn like, City. Like, hey, he's raising six billion. I know. So if I like, raise six I, billion, then I'm gonna name it after. Fair <laughs> enough, I guess. Hadleyville. Yeah, Hadley. <laughs> the Hadley How. Oh, that's funny. Oh, yeah, man. man, Acom, make a move. Hey, well, best that's of good. luck. I mean, he can't do no worse than what's already, you know, been present, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's good luck, Acom. Got to be better than a shit. If you ever want, if you want to take the Refuge Project and have us visit your construction, so we can give our listeners a, a play-by-play. Shout out! Come yeah, on, yeah, come on. We can do a deal with you. We do it on those episodes. Will be called uh, Acon a- Ref- Acon's episode. Ac- uh, Acon Refuge. We can start yeah, a Acon. media company. We can be the primary media company for the new Wakanda. There you go. I like Acon. It. Holla at me. I like. All right, it. I got me a story. Dave Ramsey's company fires employee after premarital sex. Ooh. Yes. So, according to this, he's fired. Eight different people for um, conduct that doesn't fit his Christian, basically his Christian beliefs. Mm-hmm. So when you sign up to work for Dave Ramsey Solutions, you have to sign this, basically this contract that says anything outside of this is a fireable offense. Mm-hmm. So um, this all came out of because Chris Hogan, I think was his kind of like protege, uh-huh. the the black guy. Yeah. And uh, Chris Hogan actually stepped down from some personal issues that he was having because it was outside of this contract. And um, so when that happened, this lady is now suing because she got pregnant outside of marriage. And now he's taken to the she's taken to the federal courts to sue uh, Dave Ramsey. Wow. Solutions. It's super because, weird. Because she got fired. Because she got fired. Yeah. And he says that he's never fired anybody for being pregnant. Mm-hmm. So it's not about discrimination about being pregnant. It's about doing things outside of the word of God, basically what describes. Well, outside of like the code of conduct. <clears throat> the code I of guess, conduct, yeah. And, and he, he has a private, it's a private business, right? Private business yeah. for profit. So he doesn't fall under any of the nonprofit stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and supposedly she knew about it because mm-hmm. she even referenced in an email towards HR saying, I understand about this, mm-hmm. but this is yeah. still happening. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, it's going to be a very interesting to see how this court case goes for future Christian companies. Yeah. Um, if, if, uh, Dave Ramsey solutions, um, loses, you'll start seeing this kind of go through all the different court uh, Christian company so I'm yeah. kind of interested to see how this is going to fold out yeah yeah. well 
I think as it stands, she's gonna lose. It's he's a private company. He can do whatever he wants. And, it, and, it he, and all that stuff. It, as far as where where we're at right now, if you are a privately held company, you can refuse service to whomever. Right, and that's that's kind of what it said in in in, uh, in this this document. It says basically, you know, this is free to write company. Yep. And um, so because yeah, in Texas they don't even have to give you a reason to fire you; they can just fire you. Yeah. What happened with the um, the thing that was big? He has nine hundred employees now. Wow. Yeah. But the thing the thing where the uh, the bake a cake for the gay couple thing. Yeah. What what happened with that case? Because the, they, they won they won their case. The it's com- a, the bakery or whatever yeah, one yeah okay yeah because i the, feel like it would be the same kind of a I think thing he got sued two more times and it was more about trying to bankrupt him in court than it uh-huh. was about winning yeah, yeah, yeah. i winning. think and i i believe you have to fact check me on this one but i believe that they did a countersuit on them because of the business that they lost i don't think they were able to survive yes um in all of that yep. so um yeah i mean people just suing each other but you know what that's the american dream right there <laughs> That's well, crazy. I, think, uh, I don't know. Is Chris that Hogan, is that his name? Yes. Chris yeah, Hogan. he's got his own podcast. I saw him on uh, on Pandora when I was looking through for the Refuge Project on Pandora, which y'all need to get on Pandora, by the way, because uh, not everybody not got there? Spotify and all that. I mean, we have five or six other free ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, why do I need five or six other free ones when I got Pandora? Hey, we, we, we got the econ money. <laughs> and I tell you, I will work on, on Pandora, but it was super difficult. Was it? Yeah, Pandora it was, is weird. I, yeah. I have no idea what it takes. No, so. Pandora is weird because uh, they do. I talked to this uh, chick that I ran sound for one time years ago, and she was talking about Pandora because. You can just upload your music to like all these other places uh, through different distribution services, and it's pretty easy. Like Spotify, it'll take like a couple weeks or so for them to like approve it, I guess. And uh, Apple Music is similar, and all the longest is like a month. But I mean, as long as it doesn't have anything that's breaking any laws or anything in it, they yeah. just accept it and put it up. But Pandora doesn't do that. They're theirs takes like months and months. This chick that was telling me about hmm. her band, she had her album or whatever. And had it everywhere, but Pandora it was taking months and months and months and months of like review or whatever. Yeah, it was just like a whole big issue. With wow, Pandora. I didn't know that. But and it we, had something to do with them being like a radio, I think. But I don't, I don't remember. So we used to use Soundcore. Yeah, I think uh-huh. the Soundcore were basically we uploaded at one time and then they distribute, uh, uh, dis- distributed it. Distributed, distributed. Are you thinking of TuneCore? TuneCore. Yeah, because I used TuneCore, TuneCore. Yeah. and it would, it would go everywhere but Pandora. Like it wouldn't go to Pandora. Mm. Um, but when you say radio, so we did this radio show for a while on one hundred point seven. I think that's the Christian one hundred point seven. Yeah. And we had to submit the music that we were going to play on on that radio three weeks ahead of time. They had to get in their system. They had to get it approved and all that stuff. So. The like one point, like half a percent of the penny or whatever could mm-hmm. be filed and all that different stuff. So yeah. I think being a radio station is probably a little bit. I'm different. pretty sure with the girl I was talking to too, they, I think they denied her thing after like a months and months of it because she was. Was tough. she, she was saying marital sex? No, she was. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. She's, she was like a blues rock band, just playing, just jamming and stuff. But they wouldn't put her on Pandora for whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. Pandora's I weird. Yeah, Pandora is weird. weird. I'm a huge uh, Dave Ramsey fan. You, you guys know that. I mean, I I think that uh, Dave Ramsey. I was just t- talking to somebody today about it. That 
Dave Ramsey, I don't feel like it's um, like a long-term solution, but it definitely teaches you uh, how to get out of debt quickly and gives you that core foundation that you need to stay out of debt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that uh, he's doing a lot of good things. He's making a bunch of money. Uh, so I'm kind of concerned about this a little bit, but hopefully that the courts stand up and say, hey, look, man, this is your company. Um, but, you know, we have some politicians that are in uh, office right now that yeah. they like to take a little bit more control and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it's going to be kind of interesting to see how it happens. Yep. So, all right, I got a song for you that, guys. Uh, it's called, it's from Judah, Just Because. It's a great song. I love this song. They uh, they have a live kind of studio recording of this song. It's it's way better than this one. Like this is a good song. This is a good version. But that one, I mean, they rock out. Yeah, They're real good. I uh, I seen him around here and there, but really never really paid attention to his stuff. Um, I feel like it fits this podcast, you know, with uh, yeah. with you guys. I know y'all like that kind of music, and I think we have a lot of listeners that kind of dig that that style of music too. So. Yeah. Um, Check them out, Judah. Oh, oh good music. <laughs> good music. Yeah, good, good music. No eight oh eights. Hey, I like some eight oh eights, man. Yeah, I know you do. I remember y'all was practicing during the uh, during the pastors conference. Oh, yeah, and, a few uh, little 808s y'all was there. hitting the eight oh eights pretty pretty good Just over there. Just a little bit. Yeah. So we're 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 sitting here in the office in my at my house, and I look over and I seen this uh, conspiracy theory book that we have. 
Uh, <laughs> and the little thing on it says fake news an in-depth look conspiracy so, theories oh, yeah. Osama Bin Laden right there on, yeah on the top here it's it, Osama Bin Laden it's the Loch Ness Monster it's Elvis it's uh, the moon landing there's a lot of good Stone stuff Hinge. on there Osama Bin Laden looks like one of our uh, one, of, one of our new elders <laughs> <laughs> he, really, he really does. Oh, man. I'm about to make you my own conspiracy. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, see, I got a couple of games over there. I got Operation over there, and I got Perfection, and then I got Connect Four. Uh, this is just a sneak peek into my next. David's <laughs> a very exciting office life here. Yeah, that, that is the that is a sneak peek into my next uh, sermon. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah so okay. the games we play, the game, yeah, games we play. Is so. that the title? Games people play, the games we play. I'm haven't figured it out yet. Quit playing games yeah, with my cool. heart. Well, the thing about it is, so it's uh, Connect Four. We got to make a connection with God, right? There you go. Okay. Uh, operation is got to be operation on our heart. Okay. And um, perfection. perfection. There we mm. go. Got, got, you know, if you got any preachers in your life, we can be really annoying because everything's a message. Everything. You we know see what? something, you're like, there's a message out of that. You're like, we're just having dinner. Can you just be quiet? <laughs> My kids, can we just play board games? I'm like, no, we're going to preach that. <laughs> Uh, this macaroni and cheese is really a taste of heaven. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're on to something. You're on to something. Next thing, I'm on the stage with a hot plate and some boiling water. <laughs> Can I just please Simon says? Let me tell you what God says. Oh, you know, it's funny you say that. Last week, you preached about the writing on the wall. On Wednesday, you taught about the writing on the wall. And then, you know, when uh, what Pastor was preaching on today, and he was talking about... Uh, about Saul making the the sacrifice, you know, when he wasn't he wasn't authorized to make the sacrifice, and each each message, each message as 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 Pastor David was teaching on the the writing on the wall and how Belshazzar went and got the cups from the temple and and it was just a picture of, you know, why did that offend God so much, you know, because everything in the temple, everything, every little piece of furniture that God said needed to be in this temple. Oh, that was scary. Everything that God said needed to be in the temple was for a picture of Christ. And so now you have this, you know, behemoth, you know, terrible individual full of pride and full of ego drinking out of the cup, you know, that is supposed to symbolize the the offering that God's one and only son is a, is going to pay, you know, and I can imagine how that would be offensive. Yeah. You know, and then when pastor was talking about Saul today, you know, that that just hit me in the same kind of way, you know. Saul was the king. The king represented Oh. You hear that? That's Jesus calling That's you right, right. now. <laughs> this is, uh, Father, is that you? That's where he is. Shout out, Rianne. I know you listen to this. Yeah. This is you right now. This is a message in Sunday here. Sunday night. There it is. Oh. That. I, I'm sorry to cut you off, man. Earlier, my phone fell. If you heard that fall at the very beginning, got a few it. new little cracks on it. Oh. And, uh, nothing bad, but they're there, and it definitely took it off. Missions of have so, the. Uh, it's either vehicles or phones with y'all. It's mainly been with the phones. Whew. 
Ooh, Mine's still working. All the cars. Or the cars. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, his dad that, with the cars, his yeah, grandfather yeah, yeah. with that the cars. That must actually, though. Yeah, the, Ben got, got it bad on both ends. <laughs> right. <you know? laughs> Sorry. It's a, yeah, Keep going with yeah, the Saul. Yeah, so Saul makes the sacrifice. He's a king, right? He's 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 ordained to be king. He's not ordained to be priest, mm. you know? And so here he is, and that's a perfect picture of man, right? Man stepping in to make the sacrifices that are not acceptable when the one who is king, who is ordained priest, is the one who makes the sacrifice that's acceptable. You know, it's just a perfect picture of what God, and that's why God gets so offended, you know, when Saul goes and takes it upon himself to make this sacrifice when he has no business making the sacrifice. You know, God did not call him to do this. He's stepping way out of bounds and basically interrupting the plan, the picture of Christ, you know, and saying, look, here's what I'm going to do. And God said, look, man could never make the sacrifice, you know, and, and God said, you know, if you if you wouldn't have done that, I would have carried your line on. But now it stops with you. And and just like just like that, you know, that's a perfect picture of of. The wheat and the tares, you know, the wheat get pushed to the side right here and the tares get, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with that. You know, it's the picture of the temple and the things that go on there that paint the perfect picture of Christ. You know, it's definitely worth looking into. You were talking about, we see messages and everything. And both of them, I started taking notes. I said, man, I got to put this <laughs> stuff together. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for you to finish that study because I can't wait to see what comes out of it. Because yeah, you told me gonna Wednesday night, like, I'm going to study this. And so yeah, can't wait to hear that on a Wednesday night. Yeah, yeah. this morning with the uh, young adults, I was teaching on the love of God and how we uh, how we oversimplify it, the love of God. The love of God is very complex. Absolutely. And the way that God loves different things, how... You know, we brought out how the, the the love that exists between God Himself and the Trinity is a lot different than the way that God loves His plan of salvation. It's a lot different than the way that He loves people that are the the elect, is what the Bible calls them. And it's a lot different from the way that He also uh, uh, loves His His providential love, the things that He's created. You know, His providence over His creation. It's a lot different. And whenever we start looking and searching that stuff out, I mean, we were talking about you talking about this just inspired some things. But one of the things we talked about is that because of our culture and where we're at now, we expect God to adhere to a fairness that is of our own experience and that has a lot to do with the culture that we're in yeah but nowhere does it say that god is fair but you will find that it says that god is just absolutely and uh, and a fairness is uh you know that's that's not in god well and if you think about fairness we just what you said we base everything off off of our own experiences you know pastor was talking about that today and the 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 mentality of of man, you know, the the carnal mind, you know, we we base everything off of our own experience to to the point where we put God in our own experiences instead of and submitting ourselves to the truth of the word and his experience. You know, God is fair in the sense that when we stand before him, there's nothing He's not going to pull any tricks out of his sleeve. There is if 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 we've been punished, it's rightly deserved. Mm-hmm. You know, that justice that, you know, everybody says, well, well, wait a minute. 
he got what was that parable Jesus told? You know, the the guys just come to work late. They got the same wage as the guys have been working all day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the salvation that he offers us is not fair. You know, we got the good end of it. Oh yeah, and it definitely wasn't fair for Christ to have to pay for that, for Jesus to have to pay for that. But he did, and so we get the good side of it. But when we stand before God, everything is going to be out in the open. There's not going to be any well. You know, my son's my son's classic, Isaac. Oh man, he's classic. He'll I said, Bubba, why you leave that towel on the floor? I didn't. Mm. You know, wait a minute. Nobody's been in that bathroom for days except you. How, you're the only person in the house that could have left a towel <laughs> on the floor. But see, when we stand before God, right, everything's on the table. We can't say, I didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, God's gonna be like, come on now. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great segue right into what we're going to talk about today, justice yeah. and love, you know. And uh, if y'all don't know, I got my best friend sitting here at the table, Brother Calvin. Uh, a, a quick story. Just came back to God, just came back to the church, um, been out running them streets, doing all, you know, all the stuff of the world. And- what year was this? Man, I don't even know. 2020. Uh, no, it was. <laughs> I just came back to God. Just came uh, back. People need context. 1998? 1998. 1967. 1997. I got saved in 1998, so. Yeah, right around 1998, 2000, some right, right in between there. Right before Y2K, Backstreet Boys hitting hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, so right in there. got to watch this guy. I'm context. We need context. <laughs> Econ Sandra, Sandra, Sandra and I had uh, been married for a couple years, um, and uh, so came to church, right? And so I'm sitting at at a um, pastor's conference, sitting at the table eating after one of the the nights there, and um, Pastor Mark comes and sit down, and hey man, how you been? This and that, blah blah blah. He goes, man, we sure could use some help over in the youth, and I was just like, bet you know, because uh, you know, growing up in church, I knew it was important to get involved, you know, so. Sandra and I started volunteering uh, in, in the youth. So when I got there, my first day, there was this guy there that looked like me, that talked like me, that liked the same music that I liked. And it was just one of those things I felt like God was saying, you're home. You know, you put a, a like people in my pathway. And then Calvin and I just, we just linked up and we just became, became friends just right away. And, uh, so it just built, started building relationship right there, and then God, just, we just started doing ministry together. I served under him, under him as he was youth pastor. Uh, he's just been a great mentor to me, a great friend, and here he is today. And we just wanted to share a little bit of his story. We were just talking before the podcast started that that he hasn't really shared his kind of a, his story about his life openly in, in front of a an audience. Um, into any detail, so we're gonna we're gonna try to hit some highlights, and uh, I know all some of y'all on the edge, y'all see y'all want to hear the dirty, dirty, but that's not why we're here. Mm-hmm. We're here to uh, uh, inspire some people that that may, maybe have been through some things, or they know some people that've been through some things, that to see how God can take a situation and uh, uh, take a man right from a situation and uh, 
do good out of it. You right. know? That's a testimony right there. Because the tes- yeah, yeah. Testimonies with the and just to just to piggyback on what you're talking about, testimony is is a story of grace, of God's grace and how he brings us. A lot of people like to have bragamonies, I like to call them. Because whenever they talk about look what I did and this with that or whatever. But no, I'm anxious. I'm on my seat as well as I'm hitting right here. I wanna I wanna hear the story, but I but I I love God's redemption in humanity. And uh, and knowing Brother Calvin as long as I've known him now hasn't been that long, but it's been a good time. It's probably been about seven years. Uh, and I, when I first heard the story, well, we'll get into all of that. But uh, Brother Calvin has been a uh, a friend of my wife's family for decades. So yeah. I I came in I came into the friendship uh, segue through my wife. So uh, everything that I've known about this man is uh, something that I honor and I uh, I, I treasure that. I treasure yeah. that friendship. I'm definitely. Sorry. I'm looking around wondering man, who in the world y'all are talking about because. <laughs> It's like, funny because he's been a legend around of our where, church. Where is he? Where is he? He was is gone he coming for, into the limo? <laughs> <laughs> he was gone for a period of time, and he was just this legend of Calvin, you know. Yeah. Uh, but he like is Bigfoot. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, apparently, while I was gone, Akon came out because <laughs> I had no idea who that was. Uh, that's funny, brother Calvin. Uh, just tell us a little bit about you know uh, your background as far as when you was a kid, you know kind of some things that might have led up to, you know, uh, these big decisions that happened to your life. Yeah. They kind of sent your life into a, a different, you know, direction. Well, uh, I'm a Pisces. I like uh, long, <laughs> long walks on the beach. <laughs> uh, I grew up uh, in, in South Houston area. Um, it seemed, you know, I, I drive through there now and, and on the on the outside, things seem like they're always okay. You know, there was burnt down apartments and, you know, trap houses and just the, the typical normal type hood environment, you know, and there was, there was some racial tension going on. I was, I was in the minority um, and it just was what it was. Uh, I had several, one of the, one of the best parts about growing up over there is that, you know, I had a large diverse range of friends you know i didn't grow up um in a all white or all hispanic or all black community where you know i just grew up literally from elementary school you know when you're a kid you don't see color you don't see anything like that you see hey that guy's got a football let's go let's go run and play and uh we just as things got older gang activity began to become a thing you know, and, and it's almost, you know, if you're not for somebody, you're against somebody. And because you hang out with people who are against these people, then, you know, tensions start to build, even if they have nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of a lot of uh, times where I felt. I mean, for lack of a better word, just flat out, you know, bullied, you know, beat up, jumped. I mean, just. Things that happened, I I went out of my way to try to avoid situations because I didn't want to have to deal with them. You know, I didn't I didn't have brothers and, you know, older brothers and cousins in, in the neighborhood like a lot of people did. So, you know, I just I had my little group of friends and that's what we did. Um, but I started getting into a lot of trouble. As about, I, about what age? It's about junior high. OK. Um, 
you know, mostly just mischief. You know, I think a lot of people get into mischief. You know, we started vandalizing stuff, you know, cars, buildings. Uh, single parent homes. You had a lot of free time. Single parent home. My yeah. mom worked graveyards. Yeah. You know, so there was a there was a lot of avenue to be a problem. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of pent up energy that just needed a place to be creative. You yeah. know, and and if that meant creatively destructive, you know, I think that's uh, you know in youth ministry, you know, we give we give kids a lot of opportunities to do something with their energy. You know, uh, basketballs, we, you know, do all these things. But when you don't have those outlets to do creative, you know, things, you find you find ways to release that energy. You know, yeah. we we just get into mischief and uh, breaking into cars and breaking into houses that were abandoned and just vandalizing those burnt down apartment complexes. And things just escalated, you know, more and more and more until drugs finally became part of the issue uh, you know and as a youngster you look up to the guys that were in your neighborhood you know the older brothers and and you look up to these guys and and they fight you know so that must be what you're supposed to do right so you fight you know you start seeing them smoking guess what that means you're supposed to start smoking you're supposed to start drinking you you know you want to be like them and so that's just generally the progression. Um, so we started, you know, as time went on, we started getting into drugs, me and, and my friends and things like that. And I started stealing vehicles. So Got, when did the drug start? About what age? Uh, like late junior high, early high school type No, story? it was probably middle junior high. I spent a lot of time in junior high. <laughs> 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 junior high is generally, you know, like a three-year thing. It was an extended stay for me. So they finally had to kick me out of junior high. They said, look, we're sending you up there because we can't handle you down You're growing face, facial yeah. hair, so you got to yeah. go to high school. It wasn't what? even the facial hair. It was the constant. By the time eighth grade happened, Man, I was wide open and, uh, I mean, just flat out gone crazy. So you're talking about 12, 13 years old, already uh, starting dabbling in the drugs and alcohol type deal? Uh, I don't know what age. I had been held back in sixth grade, so I went sixth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, you know, eighth right. grade. By the time I got to eighth grade, I guess I should have been a freshman in high school. Like 15? 15, uh, like 15, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, so I guess you weren't working for Dave Ramsey at this time. I definitely was not. Okay. Dave Ramsey would have run from me because I probably would have tried to rob him or something. I don't know. It was just, you know, it was just gone crazy. And uh, I got in trouble stealing a car uh, out of the apartment complex that my mom and I lived in. Um, so we obviously got evicted, <laughs> you know, uh, then we moved into Pasadena, and from there, you know, my mom was trying to do the right thing, get me away from the environment, you know, and I really believe that if she hadn't, I probably would have ended up dead a lot, you know, pretty quick. When I got into Pasadena, I found the same crowd, just different people, right. you know, when, you know, like minds going to seek out like minds. So I found that same crowd and, and was just going wide open and. Um, you know, by the time high school hit, man, drugs were like a way of life. For me, high school is like one big year 
when I try to look back on it, I can't really quite delineate which years were which. I can't. I can remember teachers. I can remember people. I can remember friends. But I can't tell you what years those happened. Yeah. You know, high school, uh, freshman, sophomore, any of that. It's all one big year. You know what I think is just just mind boggling to me is just you're so well spoken and learned and, and studied that it's hard for me to really see that where you didn't do well in school yeah. and, and those type of things and to see you now. Well, I told James, I think it was this morning we were sitting there and I said, man, I'm from the streets. Yep. I said, I know you can't really tell that today, but that's where I grew up, you know, and that's, you know, I know the street mentality, you know, yeah. and I'm, I'm thankful and truly thankful that God rescued me from that for that's sure. You, that's what I tell people. I ain't always been a pastor, you yeah. know, uh, it's just one because you can't you, you wouldn't be able yeah. to see that in doing now unless I tell you stories. Yeah. So tell me when the the you know the the stuff started escalating. You know um, things started getting worse, and then you ran into some you know more major trouble a little bit later. So me me and a a, a different group of friends we got really really tight. Started you know just started being a menace. You know we were we were strong arming people. You know, just taking them for whatever they had, you know, no no weapons or anything. Just beat them up. You know, it's just terrible, terrible stuff. And, uh, I mean, the drugs just really, it was, for me, it was like, it was fun. You know what I mean? I had less of care. And, and I, I, I think back now, you know, now I'm looking back years and years and years ago. And I think there was this, you know, this persona maybe I was trying to live up to in my own head you know every group has you know they've got the leader you know and they've got the enforcer they've got the knuckleheads they got you know every group's got those stereotypes in there and I was definitely the knucklehead you know <laughs> if there was going to be a problem I was going to do it first and uh it just it just went it went too far and when I was 16 years old, uh, you know, me and this me and this guy, we were strung out. We had been strung out for days. And I went into the store to buy some cigarettes. And a uh, store that we had gone in dozens of times and, and always had no problem. And, uh, man, I just went in there and, and I asked him for some cigarettes. And mind you, I hadn't slept in days, okay? And I'm not trying to excuse it. I'm just giving you context. Yeah. yeah. What was the what was the drug of choice? Uh, real quick. What what were, what most, were you on? Most of the time it was LSD. When we had been strung out that long, that hard, it was you know acid, and then it just didn't let you sleep. You know, you you're up, you're wide awake, and that's part of the problem. You know, with yeah. with drugs is that you you lose sense of interpretation in context. You know, the brain needs rest. And when it's already fried out on drugs and now you're you're introducing, you know, 48, 36, 72 hours of no sleep, you're really you're looking for problems. You can have some crazy stuff just not sleeping for yeah. 48 hours. Yeah, absolutely. You're throwing some acid on there. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I walked into this convenience store and I uh, asked a man for some cigarettes. He asked me for ID and uh, I had a knife in my pocket. And and I said, OK, and I went to get my ID and uh, of which I had no no 18 year old ID at the time. And 
I grabbed the knife and I stabbed the man and, and he fell on the floor and died. And uh, immediately, you know, it was like, I guess the adrenaline, I was looking at myself almost in a third party kind of way where I watched all this happen. And um, it was very like, I'm looking at myself going, dude, what did you just do? You know, and and then I, I remember looking at the guy that was with me and he was looking at me the same way I was looking at myself going, dude, what did you just do? Yeah. And uh, and I said, run, you know, and we took off out of that store. And uh, I remember that night, you know, I don't think I've told anybody this, but I remember that night I was at home and uh, I was at home. And I was watching the news, you know, and I'm I'm shaking, you know, this is not like, you know, hey, I'm making popcorn or something, you know, I'm shaking to my core. And uh, and I saw on the news that the guy died and. And I cried myself to sleep that night. So let me ask you this. So, I mean, as a 16 year old, I, I mean, I have a 15 and a half year old. Right. And. Um, he. He, he he stumps his toe around the house and he falls apart, right? And you're out there doing grown man stuff. And uh, so was there a, a thing that your your mom was seeing in you at this point and how she was dealing with that? Or were, was you able to, I mean, continue to self-medicate and try to get through those things? How, what did that look like at that point? There, uh, you know, I was I was telling somebody this morning uh, we were we were talking about the testimony this morning, yeah. and uh, I said, you know, there's 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 few times in your life where something happens that literally changes the the foundation of what you think and what you 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 really have to evaluate some things, and that was one of those moments for me where I when I cried myself to sleep that night, I didn't know God. Okay, but I knew I needed God, if that makes any sense. I was crying myself to sleep, asking for forgiveness because I felt like I had crossed a line that I couldn't uncross. And, uh, you know, I had taken much from people. You know, I had strong armed people. I had stolen cars. I I think I had one summer where I I tallied up like. 17 bicycles and five or six cars and you know it was just it was just a menace and uh you know when you you steal somebody's wallet you can give it back to them you know Mm -hmm. but something like that you don't you don't give back and i i it began to be one of those things that began to change who i was and and Honestly, I know now that it was God beginning to work on me, you know, and even though I was still in rebellion, you know, I, I did self-medicate. I, um, I quit fighting, you know, I wasn't afraid to fight. I just, I wasn't out looking for it no more. You know, I quit stealing. I quit, you know, strong arming people. I, uh, I felt like, you know, I even went and, and got a job. You know, I said, you know, if I'm going to, you know, I got to I got to leave this stuff alone. I don't want to do this no more. So mm-hmm. so was it that you didn't want to do it no more or 
You didn't want to get caught doing anything else. Well, obviously, I didn't want to get caught. But after the first few, I guess, months, I don't really remember, there was there was less a concern that it was, uh, you know, I, I guess I always knew at some point there would be a knock on the door. You know, I, I honestly always knew that. But I guess I really don't know. But I know it so we're talking about a, a mind of a baby. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Oh, we're yeah. talking about a sixteen year old yeah. baby. So say so watch out for. I mean when I look at my son, he's just a, he's well, just yeah. I I know, you know, but like you said, you know, you're out in the streets, you're doing grown man stuff. You grow up real fast, yeah, you know. That's true. And uh it was it was I remember he threatened me across this table. Say, man, I was, <laughs> <laughs> showed up to the party a little late, did we? Uh, uh, but honestly, I knew I didn't want to do that no more. Yeah. I didn't want to live that no more. You know, I literally, I remember specifically showing up to a buddy's house, and uh, there, there was chaos. There was chaos going on, and I'm sitting there trying to figure out what's happening. And uh, there's a guy that was kind of new to our clique, you know, and he he was kind of stirring this pot up. And I'm like, man, what's going on? And these guys are loading up everything. They're getting the trunk loaded. They're bringing out all this artillery. And I'm like, dude, what is going on? And he says, man, this dude's talking to my girl, da, 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 da. And I mean, it was just like, what? You know, everybody was getting ready to ride down for some nonsense. And I said, look, man, you're telling me that because this dude said something to your girl, you're going to go over there and murder him. And it was like when I said it, everybody was kind of like, yeah, dude, man, that's stupid, man. Put that crap up, you know, and everybody it, it needed a reality check. You know, I mean, you know, people watch these movies and then the same guy who got shot is in the next movie, and he's in the next movie, and we lose the the sensitivity of what death really means. Right. And uh, I didn't I didn't want to do that no more, you know. And so I just I still did my drugs, but I left a lot of that a lot of that other stuff alone. So it became more of a, like a, a party type deal than it was like you know violence gang banging yeah. type stuff yeah i was actually the the i i went from being the knucklehead to being the conscience <laughs> the voice yeah. of reason in the i group. did yeah. i did i honestly did to the point where they would tell me to shut up because i'm like dude we don't need to and they're like dude don't even say it you're gonna jinx us so you became the square i became the guy that was like well and and the like i said i wasn't afraid to fight so it wasn't an even an issue of you know, look, if there's a problem, we can handle it. But let's not go make a problem a that doesn't problem. need to be there. You know, let's be real, you know, about what we're doing. So did these guys kind of just put things together like, OK, that event happened. So you're acting this way. Some of them did. Some of them did. Some of them asked me about it, called me out on it. And uh, how was the dynamic in the group, though? How that shift to like where, where was it? They have more respect for you at that time because because of the, that or or I mean how did that go? And it wasn't like p fully known. Okay, I didn't like put it out there. This was not something that I was bragging about or anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is something that I kept close to my chest. I didn't 
I didn't want to share it. You know, I wanted to to smoke my weed and forget about it, you yeah. know, and, and I literally had to push it away from my mind. You know, it was one of those things where the mind kind of blocks it off. And, 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 you know, there was a couple of, of friends of mine that had, that said something to me. And I, I think at the time I probably had a very terrible poker face, even though I deny it, they look at me and like, mm-hmm. right. You know, so with that, I always knew there would be a reckoning. Right. So at that, that point in your life, you know, started partying a lot, started drinking a lot. Um, you've, you've always had a connection with, uh, with Shelly's family. Right, because yeah. your your best friend at the time, yeah, uh, was her cousin, right. So, and then eventually you and Shelly hooked up th- through this party, and y'all was kind of partying a little bit on, uh, at the same time, yeah. Uh, so, tell us kind of the the direction of your life went from that point. So, from there, I just I tried to maintain, you know, just some sense of sanity. You know, I continued to do my drugs. I went to work. Uh, I worked at a, a deli. You know, made sandwiches after school and, and, you know, just made enough to support my my weed habits, you know, and and, uh, we were partying and all that stuff. But really, when it came down to the hardcore stuff, I was out. I'm telling you, I was done with it. We're not I'm not going to go rob anybody. Dude, I got a job. I know I don't make much, but it's enough to buy this. It's, <laughs> so it's I'm good. honest, right? Right. I mean, and, and it's just one of those things where it's honest like, weed. Yeah. I, I don't <laughs> want to hurt nobody. <laughs> you know, that was the general, that was the genuineness of my heart. You know, I didn't want to hurt anybody. And I um, ended up graduating high school. I mean, you know, went to. Ten years later. Yeah. I mean, hey, better late than never, right? I mean, <laughs> started high school in the 90s. High just graduated last year. <laughs> I mean, they couldn't tell if I was alumni or I was just throwing my cap and gown, you know. He's like a student in uh, the, the teacher conference rooms that way, sir. <laughs> Uh, I think somebody's dad is posing as a student. So here's what here's here's the best part. Okay, so uh, my buddy ended up introducing me to his cousin who was going through some hard times. She she was going through a divorce, and uh, me and her hit it off really really well. You know, I mean, I can't blame her, but <laughs> so <laughs> she had great taste. Uh, <laughs> not the first go round, but. Uh, uh, <laughs> That's terrible. Shelly, I love you. Uh, so we hit it off really good. We were still doing our thing, you know, and, and uh, unsaved. And uh, her aunt had helped her out. And I was I was telling, uh, was I, I, w- I might have been telling you, but we came to the glory in the fire yeah. kind of by happenstance. I, I So... He was talking to James. Probably. I was talking to James. I couldn't. I was talking to Steve and James this morning, and and I think I was telling James this morning that uh, you no, know, real Shelley, quick for for our, uh, our listeners that don't know about Elam and what all that is, what is the glory in the fire? Real quick, if you can just just real quick. So the glory in the fire was a a uh, drama play kind of thing where they came in and uh, they they put on several skits of you know, heaven and hell kind of scenes where, you know, people in the world who who die, you know, and think they're good and and they get uh, 
you know, they go to hell and they they reenact the whole thing pretty drastically. You know, it's it's pretty and they have explosions and all kinds of great stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, so it's scary as a kid. And your brother played Satan, didn't I? It? Played Satan. Oh, you played yeah. Satan. Yeah. Like the first year. one, the first one, the guy that was in charge of it, his name was Dean. His son played Satan, he and he was, you know, he might have been the devil himself. I don't know. He was, <laughs> he, he was good. super intense. Okay, yeah. so, so my my uh, my girlfriend's aunt invites her, right, and and you know we're smoking weed and drinking and stuff you know she says look come to this church with me and i'm like i don't want to go to church are you kidding me you know it's gonna kill your buzz i mean exactly (laughs) you know we're gonna blow down on the way over gosh but she felt you know kind of obligated because her aunt had helped her so much and uh so you know she hoodwinked me into going man and i'm so thankful that that i went because my life was never the same I went uh, the first night, uh, Pastor Ron Nissen was on the stage and, you know, he was saying, hey, we got nursery for these kids, you know, and, and my son, my stepson, Shelly's son, he was in my lap and, you know, I think he was probably three or so and and, uh, and I'm like, nursery? What are you talking about? This is a church, <laughs> you know, what what can be so bad in church that my, my, my son hasn't seen already, you know? So we get in there and we're watching this play and the devil comes running out and attacking Jesus. And and immediately my son turns around and grabs my neck and he is like, oh, my God, what is happening here? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, dude, I got you. You know, I'm, I'm, I got you. I'm, I'm sitting there holding them. Hey, man, nobody's going to get you. OK, I'll, I'll beat him up, whatever, <laughs> I, you know, just trying to comfort this kid. And so and then, you know, the devil goes away and Jesus is risen and kicks the devil's butt. And he's like sitting there and he's good. And. Every time the devil came out to grab somebody and snatch him to hell, he would turn around and grab my neck, and he was just completely freaked out, right? And through this whole play, through this whole drama, I can feel the Holy Spirit tugging at my heart. I, I know that now. At the time, it was conviction. I didn't know what was happening. I'm like, dude, I'm going to hell. You know, I knew it. I knew sitting there by the actions that I had created and at that time i was 20 years old and the actions in my life were enough i'm not one of those guys that says uh look i never did anything wrong you know and 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 then you point to adam and say well he did it so by default you did it you know i was not that guy i was the one that went yep i'm in trouble (laughs) you know i've done it and and i'm sitting there and i'm thinking to myself Man, I'm going to hell. All of my all of my guilt was on me. It was in front of me like like a mirror. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, you know, during that altar call, uh I was confronted with the fact that Jesus was alive, you know, and that he was going to judge me. And uh and then I was given the opportunity for forgiveness. And Two things happened, okay? I got hoodwinked. So I'm sitting there, and and Brandon is in my lap. You know, I'd, I'd not been in the church service like this. So I'm sitting there, and they do the whole bow your head, you know, if anybody. And I feel this 
wiggling in my lap, you know, and I'm like, what's going on? And, and Brandon's waving his hand, you know, he's like, I'm raising my hand. Yeah, I'm right here, right here, right here. And I'm like, okay, so I'm trying to contain him and, and I still feel that conviction. So I raise my hand, right? And here's where I got hoodwinked because all y'all have been in church all your life. You know, the next thing coming, yeah. right? Uh-huh. That shame walk. Yeah, yeah. It's like, in, uh, you know, all of you that raised your hand, I want you to go ahead and come up. And I'm thinking, nope, but I, right about that time, Brandon jumps down and takes off running down the aisle. And I'm like, well, dang, now I got to go get him, you know? But at the same time, what really transpired in my heart was, you know, we, we from the streets, and you'll know what I'm talking about. Maybe you guys understand this because you're guys. Yeah. We pride ourselves on being men, right? We pride ourselves on, you know, I'm a man. When he took off running and I didn't want to get up. Why? Because I was afraid. Mm -hmm. I was afraid people were going to see me. People were going to judge me. And yet here I am priding myself on being a man, right? I'm a... This kid had enough sense to run down this aisle. It's a scripture of that or something. I'm right? telling you, there's a message. There's a message. There's a message in there. Go ahead and take notes. Feel free. Sure I read that already uh, in the Bible. He takes off running and man, I'm sitting there and I'm like, if this kid, if this kid can go down this aisle with no fear, no shame, what, what am I left with? <laughs> But to go down that aisle, you know, and I walked down there and and I stood there and man, the Holy Spirit was so heavy in that place. That was where I, I was confronted right then with all my wrong. It was right before me, you know, convicting me, condemning me. And uh, and it was at that same place that Jesus forgave me. Mm. I mean, forgave me, like took all that was condemning me and removed it. And I literally felt the weight lift off of my shoulders. Wow. Uh, Do you remember where you were at as far as oh, the yeah. actual I remember, location? I remember. Use the dove. I, I pointed use to, the dove. I, yeah, I use pointed point, to it. Use point to so, use. so y'all y'all stand right there. We all do communion right there. And it was just to the left, maybe four or five seats. And I was right there at that, you know, looking looking at the dove at a 30 degree angle it's probably where that brown spot is that's probably it because i think i soiled myself so let me so when when um they bring you to, they bring you to the back and give you some information and all that right yeah so let me tell you when you left there everything was different and beautiful and and the doves were flying in the sky and life was perfect after that right no <laughs> No. Oh, no? For for those of y'all that don't know, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, we went to the back, and, you know, they, they said a whole bunch of Christianity-type stuff to me that I didn't understand. Yeah. I knew, I knew that I had been forgiven, okay? Understanding salvation had not come yet, but I knew that I had been forgiven. And I literally, that night, I'm driving in my car, right, and I'm—, I'm trying to process everything that had just happened and Shelly was with me and Brandon was in the back seat let me stop you right there because if you if you don't know who Calvin is Calvin is very methodical about his thought process he he analyzes things and tries to understand everything that happens not just 
oh, that happened, we're moving on. When I'm driving home, I had a, a CD. And for those of y'all that don't know, it's a little <laughs> disc that we used to listen to with music on it. Uh, <laughs> Back in my day. <laughs> and, and it was Tupac. Mm. And he was jamming on the radio. And, and it was like I'm driving and I'm processing. And it's like something he said, and I don't even remember what it was. It caught my eye. Because when I was standing at the altar, I realized right then that everything I thought the streets kept real had all been a lie. And I didn't want any more of it. I wanted the truth. You Scales know? Removed, removed. The reality is when, you, when you're up there and you think you're the man, you think you're keeping it real. But, the, but you don't even realize the real that you bought into has been a lie the entire time. Yeah. You know, and, and I wanted what was real. And that was Jesus. He was alive. He was well. And he was going to stand in judgment of all. And I'm like, I don't want to be on that end. And I'm sitting there in the car. And I'm driving home. And I'm thinking about all this stuff. And Tupac is jamming on my, my radio. <laughs> and I, I realize, man, this is the lie that the streets has sold me. The yeah. ghetto in heaven probably lying. I mean, it, I, I don't know what it was. But I ejected it. And, and, and Tupac was like, you know, my idol. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, yeah. he was the man. Mm -hmm. And this was this was 1998. This was, you know, three years after he had died. You know, he was like the legend. Yeah. And, and I literally took that CD and, and threw it out my window. That's right. I littered. <laughs> You're like, you lying to me, Tupac. I don't got the juice now. I don't got no juice. It was just one of those things that I recognized that this was part of the life that I had I had adapted to myself that had been leading me into a lie. You yeah. know, the streets got nothing. There's nothing. There's no life in the streets. There's no power. There's no money. There's You can make all that, and in the end, it's all for nothing. You know, it's empty. Anyway, and so... Now somebody's listening to that, and they're going to listen to that, and that's going to hit yeah. real deep. So you went home, and uh, you started drinking water and all that good stuff. <laughs> it, was, it was holy water, by the way. You threw all your cigarettes away. So, no, no, man. I'm, I'm, I'm from the streets. I'm not from the church. I had no idea what. And, and this, I guess, is why I have, I have so much more grace, I think, towards people that come in that are new. Because Christianity is a lifelong thing. You know, God gives you revelation one small step at a time. If we knew the fullness of God, we would be in trouble. You know, he told Moses, nobody can see me, right? He says, I'll show you the backside of me because you really can't comprehend what's going on here. You really can't comprehend the fullness of, of God. And so in that same manner of thinking, of course, at, at the time I didn't know it, you know, I went home, I didn't smoke cigarettes or nothing like that, but I still smoke weed. You know, I still, I still went to work and I'm still processing all this stuff. The glory and the fire at that time had gone on. It was, it was scheduled for a week. It went two weeks. And I don't know if, if you remember, they had like this baptism and there was so many people said to be baptized. They brought in like three horse troughs. There was like four baptisms at a time going on. And I was in one of those. But I still 
you know, didn't quite understand. You know, I knew that I wanted more of God. I wanted more of Jesus. And after that, we were in, in the church every single time the door was open. I don't care if it was the same service, you know, from first to second, we were there. We were there first service. We were there second service. We were there evening service. We were there Wednesday night. And uh, because I needed, I needed more of what was real. And how was, how was Shelly interpreting all this change as it was going? Shelly had gotten saved a few months before that. She had gone to a ladies retreat with her aunt. And uh, she was in on it. We were living together. (laughs) Well, it, it's really mm, it's really, up. It's really a story mm. because when she came home, I had a party going on, man. I had the I was DJing, I had the records. What the what I mean, we was going down, <laughs> right? And she comes in and we were turning up, you know, Budweiser's and all this stuff. She walks in the door and she's just like, Hey, she went from heaven to hell, just like that, you know? And she her testimony is that she began to pray, God, get him out of my life. <laughs> you know, we were living together. We mm-hmm. were living, you know, like any other couple nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a couple months later is when we went to the glory and the fire. But I had already begun to be a weight on her. Mm-hmm. And, and so even that night, she didn't want to go. You know what I mean? She didn't want to go to the glory and the fire. She was like, come on, don't make me go by myself. And when we went, and man, I'm I'm so thankful that I that I went. Uh, crazy story. Okay, this is this is how God works. As if it wasn't crazy enough. <laughs> yeah. right, here we go. Don't imagine my scene already. Then, well, then now we're getting crazy. Yeah. So <laughs> I remember coming home from work one night, and uh, and I rolled a blunt. Right. And I'm sitting down and I've been hearing, you know, at church, you know, we got, I told you, I'm going to every single service. You got to read the Bible. You got to read the Bible. So I'm okay. So let's read this Bible. You know, this is supposed to be the word of God. I have no idea what's going on. I had no idea there were 66 books in the Bible. I had no idea that there was an old and a new Bible. I didn't know anything. Okay. So I'm reading and I had picked up a few things about some of the apostles so I thought, okay, well, I know one of them was Peter because he's he's kind of like me, always saying something that don't need to be said. <laughs> and so I'm I'm like, well, Peter wrote something. Let's read what Peter's got to write. And so I'm sitting there and I'm reading this and I'm hitting this blunt, right? And I'm, I'm I'm just, I mean, this is just the way it is, yeah. you know. I don't think God would sit there in <laughs> condemnation of me, you know. Yeah. He's like, look, I'm growing you. You just come along you, you got know? some churches in california right now saying yeah amen yeah, every, yeah, everybody yeah, in colorado just went i know what's up <laughs> but i'm i'm sitting there writers across the country just snapped <laughs> well, this is the this is the kicker so i'm sitting there and i'm reading it and peter says to be vigilant to be sober-minded and i stopped right Ooh. there and i said am i really sober-minded right now and i said hmm no so I just put that blunt right in the ashtray and I said, well, we'll deal with that later. I'm going to just keep reading. Right. So from that point on, I put that blunt in my baggie and I put that baggie in the drawer, you know, and I was a a regular smoker. It wasn't like, 
a weekend thing. This was, I just told you, I'm I'm lighting up. I'm by myself. I'm not no puff, puff, pass. I'm just puff, puff, puffing away. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the real puff daddy. That's it. This is Puff the Magic Dragon going on right here. And so I'm just sitting here and one day at a time, you know, just didn't smoke today. And I didn't smoke the next day. And before I knew it, months had gone by and I was cleaning something up and I found it. And I was like, well, we don't need that no more. Mm. And it was just like that. And and it was it was that little bit of revelation, you know, that God helped me to get through that. Don't know? tell me God is not real when he placed you on that page of the Bible reading that verse at that time. Right, with that blunt. With and, that blunt, right. You know, did you flush it? I don't remember what I did. I, I, I remember whenever I had my change and stuff like that, that, uh, you know, my uh, my boys wanted my all my paraphernalia and all that stuff like that. So it's <laughs> They a, wanted you to donate. Yeah, huh? yeah. It's uh, like it's Goodwill or something like that. I said, no, no. I, I told them I broke it. You know, it's a, and we won't get into all that yeah, today. Yeah. But, but yeah, so you don't remember what you did with it? I don't. I don't. It's been too long ago, but I got rid of it. So tell me, um, how did you get connected with the youth? So... So, so I'm, I'm sure there's a process that went on. You quit smoking. You you already said you was in the church. That, you know, every time the door was open, the next step was getting involved into a ministry. Yeah, well, and it, it kind of all happened by accident because... It usually does. Well, I, you know, rap music was a huge part of, of my life and who I was. And now I'm, I'm I just told you I threw Tupac, you know, the, the rap music mm-hmm. of the day out the window, you know, and, and now I'm, I'm like, man, I got to have something. So I started, you know, we used to do parties, DJ and, and freestyle and all this stuff. And so we would, I began to just write my own stuff. I was a little too nervous on the freestyling because I, I just knew like an F-bomb was going to pop out there. Oh, somewhere. Right. Like, go ahead and spit something. Go ahead. You know? Nah, nah, I can't do that. Yeah, yet. I don't want to do that because... <laughs> You know, luck is, uh, <laughs> but I began to write my own rhymes, you know, and, and then I started, I needed beats. I needed to come up with something and I, I, I started putting together a little bit of music and I thought I was a pioneer, but I, I had no idea that God was raising up people all across the U.S. You know, uh, the cross movement was a, a huge, huge thing for me when I, uh, when I first got saved. But in getting into the youth, I um, we were we were there on one one service, and uh, Pastor Ron said, "Look, we need help in the sound booth." And I'm thinking, "Well, you know, I got turntables, I got a mixer, man. That that's got to be similar, right?" <laughs> I had no idea about audio at this time, so I go up to this sound booth, and you know, we got 24 channel Soundcraft, and you know, the analog days. Yeah, back in my day, it was analog. and uh, <laughs> They're going back to it, man. Everybody wants to be uh, traditionalist again. So yeah. so I started helping out, and I started learning, and I started making mistakes there. And um, I remember I was goofing up one service, okay? I was goofing up in the in the sound booth, couldn't figure it out. And, and uh, Pastor Ron looked down at Pastor Mark, and he says, why don't you go help him? And I knew he was the youth pastor, but I'd never really talked to him before. And so Pastor Mark comes upstairs and he says, uh, I had got it figured out somehow. It just magically worked itself out. I pushed something and it fixed itself. You because know how it if goes. you don't know, 
every youth pastor can run sound to, at some point. Yeah, to some, some degree. Some degree. Absolutely. You buy. Yeah. 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 And so Pastor Mark comes up there, and it's already fixed. And he's like, you got it? And I said, I got it. I'm, I'm good. And he... And, and I said, "Hey, man. By the way, I I do some uh, I do some music. I do some rap music, man. I think I'd like to, you know, come do a song for the youth or something. I think it'd be really cool." And he said, uh, "Yeah, come on Wednesday night." And I'm like, "Wednesday night? I didn't know they had youth on Wednesday night. I thought it was a Sunday night." So I said, "Okay, yeah, sure." And so Wednesday night comes, and uh, and I go over there, man, and it just goes off without a hitch, man. It was just like what you had talked about, man. I'm I'm home, you know, and and. Pastor Mark and, and Blanche, man, they just, we just connected like like that. And uh, I said, look, you know, I want to help out. And he he gave me the, the well, just come sit in here for 60, 90 days speech. And, yeah. and uh, oh, you got that? Uh, oh, yeah. I didn't get that with him. He, that was probably about 90 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I already had the meeting with everybody. And then I was just like, okay, I'm going to slow the bus down if you want to get off. I'm gonna allow you to get off or whatever, and then like too many people raised their hand, right? And I was just like, "Oh heck, you're up and you're up and you're up. The rest of y'all can get off." Yeah. So I, when I got there, you know, I, I I just started showing up every Wednesday night. Did you, you say know? how old you are now at this point? And like, how long so you been? I got saved. I was I was twenty. And uh, Shelly and I got married in 99. But okay, so let's just put this in perspective. Everything yeah. that he told us up to this point, he's not even at drinking age yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. yeah I'm just so. I'm just going crazy over here thinking about a 30-year-old Pastor Mark. <laughs> oh, yeah, with that street <laughs> he, sweeper he had on his lip. Yeah. <laughs> he had the big fireman mustache for sure. So wow. you showed up on that Wednesday night? I showed up that Wednesday night, every Wednesday night after, and uh, you know I'm not I'm not I'm not one to just sit on the sidelines. I'm a I'm a go getter. So he 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 started talking about look I wanna I wanna build a wall in the back of the stage, and uh, I want it to be a brick wall and this and that. And I said I can do it. And he you know this is like you know this is not into my sixty day journey yet. And he's like okay. And so man, a few weeks later I show up. I've got these panels up. I've got brick bricks everywhere and then it just went from there you know pastor mark and i became you know very very close friends one of my best friends and daniel and, uh, warbrook daniel warbrook is what he's very instrumental and, uh, of befriending you at that time yeah daniel really really helped me educate myself biblically and yeah. uh he's a he's a great guy man super intelligent individual uh it was just from there it was it was all downhill so I stayed in the youth as a volunteer, and uh, eventually God called me to youth ministry. And uh, I will say, James and I were talking about this earlier, man. James and I, we just talked about everything. Talk, I'm earlier, telling y'all to have this whole podcast. I mean, I guess God was prepping it. So, you know, as a side note here, for all you Christians out there that are listening, and, and uh, you know, even if you're not, a believer you got skeletons in the closet you've got uh you got to get those things out of there man you know the skeleton in the closet the proverbial skeleton in the closet or whatever you want to call it it causes you to make decisions you know you make decisions subconsciously because the skeleton is back there that does not allow you freedom it does not allow you to be free and to be 
obedient to God, I guess, is the right word. Because, man, for years, people would talk to me about, man, you need to think about youth ministry, you know, and I would be like, no, you know, because, you know, I know what I've done, you know, and I know that there's going to be a reckoning. And I never, I never, ever, ever wanted to be in that pulpit and something happened and the cops come and they arrest me. And now I've got kids who are looking up to me for the truth, for righteousness, and they are going to be led astray by some terrible thing, you know, and I never, ever wanted that. And uh, so I would just immediately dismiss any kind of inclination in youth ministry or full time ministry of any kind. And, uh, you know, I didn't mind helping out. You know, playing second fiddle, you know, I will be the best second fiddle player that there ever was. Uh, but there was, uh, you know, years and years and years had gone by and we were at a youth camp and uh, I had been unemployed for some time. And, and I was I was I was actually in the room with Pastor Mark at youth camp. And and I said, you know, Pastor Mark. I don't know what God is trying to tell me here. I just can't find a job. And by this time, I had been to college in audio, been through the program. And so I was looking more for an audio type job. And I had several interviews. Uh, I had been doing audio for the church by that time, you know, full time, basically, you know, as much as full time church can be, you know, every single service um, and still was working. But at this point, I had been unemployed, laid off. And I asked him, I said, you know, what am I missing here? What is it that God is trying to show me that I that I'm not seeing? And he just starts chuckling, you know, and and I'm, I said, what? And he goes, I'm telling you, you need to think about being youth pastor. And I'm like, by this time, I'm like up to here with this conversation, you know, and I'm like, dude, enough of that already. You know, we're done with that. Trying to find real solutions. Yeah, I mean, right. I'm, I'm trying to find a job here, you know, and so. At that point in time, I just was not ready to receive it. And that night, that night, that it was a it was a Wednesday night service at uh, IBC. Man, the Holy Spirit was moving so strong. I mean, we were just in this worship service, and I began to look around, and I mean, kids were crying, and I mean, this is typical youth camp, you know, right. but. And I'm sitting there, man, and I'm I'm worshiping, and I said, God, what do you want from me? And it was as clear as I'm sitting here with you. I heard him say, you know what I've called you to do, so stop running and do it. Wow. And I never felt like I was running, but I, I know, you know, now that I was. You know, all my excuses I thought were legitimate, you know, but when God calls you, that's more legitimate than any excuse you can come up with, you know? Mm -hmm. And and at that time I opened my eyes and I saw, I saw Miriam, you know, Miriam and I, at that point in time, man, we had butted heads quite a bit, you know, but, you know, I still loved her, you know, she was one of our youth, you know, and, and, and I saw her broken and I knew right then I knew, I knew what God had called me to do. And I, I said, God, you know my past. You know what I've done. I'm just going to trust you. So obviously you got it all taken care of. Wow. And, um, 
And that night, I told my wife. I didn't even tell Pastor Moore. You know, I told my wife. I we left the service, and Shelly said, "Man, that was great." I said, "Look, I think God called me to youth ministry, to be a youth pastor." And she said, "Well, it's about time." Right. Everybody knew, but you. Yeah, I mean, but maybe if I wouldn't have had this skeleton in my closet, I could have seen it. Come on. You know what I'm saying? That's but good. because I had this skeleton in my closet, I couldn't. I felt like I had a legitimate reason and it's not an excuse you know it's a legitimate thing to say i don't want to be up front here and something happened and i'm going to be the stumbling block for all these kids that's not what's up right i remember you telling me a story one time about that when you were saying every time a cop came behind you every time you heard a siren yeah you know you feel like you was going to get pulled over you were sitting at the dinner table and you heard siren you feel like the door was going to kick you or you was up there preaching and you heard a cop go by on Richie. You feel like they were going to come in the back door. Yeah, no telling when that door was going to open. Mm-hmm. And and I, I, I knew it was going to come. I just didn't know when. Right. Um, it's so, like, that, like the telltale heart kind of thing. The Edgar Allan Poe uh, story where uh, uh, he kills a guy fly, uh, and then he buries him underneath his floorboards. And yeah. he, yeah, he right. feels like, like he just hears that, that thumping of the heart over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Nobody else hears it, but he hears it. Yeah. And then he uh, he goes crazy because yeah. it just wow. gets louder and louder and louder. That's crazy. So how, how long were you youth pastor? Uh, let's see. Probably about a year and a half or so, something like that. So, and, uh, so a year and a half goes by, and you're really so, making some, like, some really good in ways with our youth. You kind of take it to the next level. I really feel, and then I get a phone call. Well, so let me also say this. Okay. While I was trying to do the full time youth ministry thing, there was always this knock, <laughs> right? The the knock that nobody else hears. You know. That was always there. My every thought, you know, if, well, wait a minute, can I do that? That's going to put us too far out there. That'll be this or that'll be that, you know. I know how the devil works, man. The devil works in, in people to, you know, oh, well, look at him. He just think he's somebody. I know what's going on with him. I know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. People, even if that isn't what's really happening, yeah, the devil will manipulate people. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... That's always kind of in the back of my mind. And actually, Pastor Ron had started doing a class with us about, you know, being ordained. And and, uh, Sister Christina and I were going through this class. And uh, we went through it all. We got our ordination on a Sunday night. And literally, I'm not kidding you, Sunday night, right? Tuesday, Tuesday. You know, I I always got to the church early and I would go into the sanctuary and I just walk around and pray. I just get my time. You know, when nobody else is there, uh, there's no phones ringing, you know, and uh, I'm in my office and I hear it again. You know, God says, uh, if you want to teach these kids how to do the right thing, then you need to show them how to do the right thing. And uh, I said, well, that can't be God right there. Because <laughs> God called me to youth ministry. He didn't call me to do that. And uh, I'm telling you, I was messed up that whole day. I came home that night. 
And I told Shelly, I said, hey, it's time. And she knew exactly what I was talking about. And she said, okay. And I knew right then that God had put this whole thing together. And, uh, you know, just to back up for a minute here, because I know that kind of throws some things out of there. Shelly and I met when we were unsaved. We were partying like crazy, and, and we both had gotten saved during our relationship. She had gotten saved first. I had gotten saved a few months later. Both of us were radically changed. Okay, so when it when it came time, a few months later, now we're still living together, okay? You know, saved, you know, but we're still learning this stuff. And I feel in my heart, man, God impressing me, man. This is the woman. You need to marry her. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm okay with that. And so I had a conversation with her that was something along the lines of, look, you know, you know who I was. And, uh, you know, there could be a day when the police come knocking on the door and we might be 50, you know, and they come and take me away. And, you know, if you don't want to deal with that, I understand. And she was like, no, we're in this thing. And uh, she's been my ride or die the whole time. Man. You know, I remember that same conversation me and you had. We were um, taking, taking the youth boys to uh i think you had a um a timeshare yeah yeah that weekend yeah i mean you were riding we had you know some boys a van full of boys in the back i think james is actually one of the youth that were yeah and adam and brandon yeah, i think y'all they were all there and me and you were having that same conversation you're like you know a day there might be a day and uh and i was just thinking to myself he just told me something but he didn't tell me something you know what i'm saying uh, so Anyways, it just it reminded me of that that ride that that we had, and so when I when I came home and I told her it was time and she she knew uh, because you really never let anybody in on the secret because you didn't feel like you wanted them to have to be a part of if anything ever went down. There's there's no need, right? You know, there's no need to put that on somebody else. You know, that was you know my my shame to bear and uh you know what do you why do you share that with somebody else right you know for for bragging rights you know that's stupid <laughs> or even to drive your own you wife know? or friends into a court battle or, or right. whatever it exactly. may be exactly i mean if if nobody knows nothing nobody can tell nothing right. right i mean and then and then i can just imagine after after being saved and starting to learn more about the heart of god at this moment, you're just you're like hypersensitive to the needs of others, people you love, and why oh, am I man. gonna bring why am I gonna bring that into into my mess? Absolutely, from the past? yeah. And there there, you know, I can't tell you countless countless nights I prayed for that that family, you know, that was just devastated by my sin and my destruction, you know, and and I don't I don't want to be the the chaos, you know, I don't want that. I want life. And, and so anyway, at that point in time, I didn't take it as well as Shelly did because I tried to talk you out of it. Well, there was several people 
I know? was just like, no, bro, God's already forgiven you. And that there was a lot of that for you me. You don't need to do that. Because I was coming from a selfish place. Because I felt like, man, I gave up everything. Like, I gave up my past life. I finally found somebody that was like-minded. And, and Calvin and I talked more than, than we've ever had in that period of time. We would call each other every yeah. single day. I mean, he was my boy, you yeah. know. And then for me to think I'm about to lose that, it was selfish of me. But like, no, 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 you can't do that because I need you. You know, I need you here. And and um, but I know that God was working on his life in a different way. And uh, so at that point, I was just like, OK, if you're going to do this, here's somebody you need to call. Anyways. Yeah, actually, I think I, I called you and said, hey, I need the name of your attorney. Yeah. And uh, man, that was that was God all over right there. That's a whole nother. Oh, man, we could talk about testimony. That yeah. And, and uh, but I, I, I that night I called Pastor Mark. And uh, I said, look, man, I need you to meet me at the youth. And, you know, I'm bawling and crying. And I talked to him. And he's like, no, he's saying the same thing. Look, man, I don't think you need to do that. <laughs> and then, you know, I talked to Pastor Ron the next day and said, look, man, here's what I did. And, and uh, Pastor Ron, you know, God has given that man such wisdom, you know. I mean, true wisdom, not not experiential wisdom, but divine. And, uh, you know, I started having the argument with myself, you know, wait a minute. No, I'm a new creation in Christ. All things have passed away, you know, and, and he said, you know, son, that's true. God has forgiven you, but there is still a debt to be paid in this life. And it was like, I understood because because part of me knew that. You know what I'm saying? I knew that God had forgiven me. Mm-hmm. He he had truly forgiven me and, and he had saved me and redeemed me and literally pulled me out of that mess. He didn't just forgive me and leave me there. He pulled me out and I accepted that pulling. I was pulling on him at the same time he was pulling on me. But you know, sin has consequences. And just because we we say we're sorry doesn't absolve us from the responsibility of sin in this life. You know, each each one of us are married. You know, some of us have a little more years than others. But absolutely, if we were to go and commit adultery on and and in any fashion, you know. Is it something that can be worked through? Absolutely. But are there consequences for it? Can we just come and be like, honey, I'm sorry. Is that coffee ready? You know, God forgave me, so it's okay. Right. God forgave me, so you should too. I would end up in a box. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sanders already (laughs) described it in detail, so I'm I'm out. (laughs) I mean, all all that to say the destruction that we would cause with that is something that we would have to deal with. We would have to... We would have to deal with the the retribution. We would have to deal with the destruction of sin and the chaos that it would cause in all of our marriages and lives and homes and our children and our grandchildren. And it's it's not something that that can just be blown off. And sin has consequences. You know, mm-hmm. it just is what it is. Um, 
Yeah. And you have a social responsibility before God. Absolutely. You know, and, and not only that, when you read the word, you know, Timothy talks about how the qualifications of the leadership. Yeah. You know, and part of that qualification is to have a good testimony with the world, you know, and up to that point. I had a good testimony with the world because the world didn't know about my big old skeleton in the closet, mm-hmm. or at least most of them. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? So anybody that did know about that, and I got called out on that. I mean, let me share that with you. So I had just put together uh, my first my first rap album, right? I what, had been, what was it called? It was called uh, "Take Me to the Cross." Take me to the cross. I'm sorry. Uh, it was. It was. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. We, some, we didn't put some of those bangers on. I'm it. telling you, I think there's only one or two CDs it, left. It was all about the 808s. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, I was I was in college and uh, I had just put out this CD right. So a bunch of the youth were buying it, and it was allowing me to give it away free to a lot of my my homeboys from the streets, you know, because there was, when I got saved, there was pretty much one or two people that still mess with me and everybody else kind of cut the string, you know. These were ride or die, you know, boys that that were like, hey, man, chugging the deuce, man. Good luck to you, <laughs> you know. And But a few of them were, were really still with me, you know, even though I would bring, I would try to bring them to church, you know. They would come over. Most of them, most of them crying. Look, man, I'm trying. I, I, I need help. I need prayer. You know, and and so I was, I was passing out CDs to them. And one of my buddies calls me and he says, "Hey, man, listen to this." And I can hear the dominoes hitting the table, right? And and take me to the cross is playing in the background, right? And I could hear all my boys. They they rapping with me, you know. And and I said, man, he's like, you got to come over. And I'm like, dang, man, I don't want to go over there. I know what's over there, you know, but I got to go over there, you know. And so I go. And it's my boy Tim's apartment. And, uh, man, everybody is showing me mad love. You know, they're loving on me. They're, they're, uh, man, we, we, we love you, man. We're so proud of you, man, that you got out got out of the game and you made it. You, you're doing something, man. You're doing something positive and and. I mean, of course, they're all drunk saying, it's like, man, we love you, bro. <laughs> so proud and, of you. Hey, so right then, man, I'm 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 loving on these dudes, man. And 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 uh, my homeboy's girl comes up and she says, hey, let me talk to you for a minute. And so I go now. Now, mind you, this is a one bedroom apartment. OK, so you know, that get all your judgy stares out right now. So, <laughs> so she oh, says, I've we already... made four steps to the left. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and so she goes in the bedroom. I follow her. I didn't shut the door. Just FYI, I was already equipped enough at that point to <laughs> just be like, hey, push it too. But everybody can see what's happening. Uh, and she's got this blunt, right? She's smoking this blunt. And she says, uh, tell me about this church. Right. That's exactly what she said. She's like, she give me that Corella DeVille look, you know, <laughs> you know, like the cloud all smoked up by her eye. Tell me about this church. And I said, man, I, I just began to tell her all the good things that God was doing in my life. And uh, it was like none of that even got heard. She looked me dead in my eye. <sighs> she said, I know what you've done. I know your sin. And right then, I knew that the devil was going to be coming after me. Mm-hmm. 
Jezebel. She said, I know what you've done. I know your sin. That's what she said. She's sitting there puffing on this blunt, right? And I said, you know what? God has forgiven me. What about you? And I turned around and I walked out of that bedroom and I grabbed my homeboy. I didn't tell him what just happened. I gave him a big old hug. I said, I love you, bro. I got to go. And I got in the car and I knew that night the devil was not going to let me make it. You know, I knew that there was going to be a reckoning. Wow. All all the thoughts that I had that one day is going to happen, I knew it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it happened, right? So Shelly, you told Pastor step down from step from down from the youth, and you turned yourself into the authorities. I did. I went and, and called a lawyer that a friend of mine recommended, uh, who's since passed away. Man, great man. I cannot say great man of God. Great man of God. Great. Great guy. I just cannot say enough about him. Between me and the homies, we made him rich. Yeah. yeah. And I, but I can look back, just a quick testament in that, I can look back how God was just like setting things up for the future. Like a friend of mine used him. He was just like, man, you got to, you, you know, he told my other homeboy, hey, man, you got to use this guy. You know, he, he's just a good guy. And then, and then it just started filtering down to one of my best friends in in the streets used him. And then, and then one day, 10 years later, here we are, right? Yeah, and then yeah. I passed the number, number over to Calvin. And so I, I met with him. First thing I asked him is, uh, do you believe in God? And he said, absolutely. I said, well, let me tell you a story. And uh, he said, man, that's a crazy story. You need to just go home and forget about all this. <laughs> and uh, I'm serious. And he said, uh, if they ever come and get you, then call me. And I said, I can't do that. I got to go forward with this thing. And he tried and tried and tried repeatedly over and over. <laughs> he said, well, let me let me look into a few things. And so he looks into a few things and he says, uh, look, I'm telling you right now, you do not want to do this. And I said, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Who are you telling? Uh, but long story short, you know, we we got it together. But he done that like multiple times. You even like sent payment to him, and then yeah. he was just like, "Look, he, come, I've worked off this. Come get the rest. I can't yeah, do this." He he told me he he was going to resign from the case, and uh, because he didn't want to be a part of me going to prison, and for the rest of my life. And I said, uh, "I said, look, I'm going to do this, with or without you. You know, this is going to happen. I need help. I need somebody that can help me and walk me through this." You're not signing my papers. I signed the paper way back 16 years old. And uh, and, th and this cost him everything, guys. And we're talking about everything. He cashed in 401ks. He cashed yeah. in his life savings, his future, everything. everything. His family's future. Uh, so it wasn't just like he was turning himself in. His wife had to move out of their beautiful home, get rid of animals. I mean, just it cost the family everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it... it but I mean, you know, God tells you to do it. What do you do? You right. know, you yeah. you hold on to it. You walk in disobedience. You know what I mean? And 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 you walk in obedience, and it's going to cost you some things. But you got to trust Him. You know, you got to trust Him. And and so it took a few months. And uh, tell the story about when you turned yourself in. That was it's just an amazing story. Which one? <laughs> okay, so so he goes to the there, past. There was this, there was this guy who asked me to take off all my clothes, 
Oh, no, 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 not, no, no, not no, that no, part. No, okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> so he goes to the Pasadena Police Department, and mm. this, the detective that actually did the case was still there. Right? Oh, wow. And he didn't even know what to do with He was just like. Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I, uh, the interview finally got set up. Nobody, nobody was really believing it. You know, every everybody thought I don't know what they thought, but they weren't they weren't accepting this as as real. And uh, so we were we were sitting in the little room. You know, the old Pasadena Police Station man it stunk like an institution. It was terrible. And uh, <laughs> not that I know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, so mm-hmm. Uh, wait a minute, David. Let's get back to that one for a second. This so, is your story, Oh, <laughs> uh, so I I did the interview. It was very not cool, you know. Uh, like I said, I had I had pushed things away from my mind that I had I had banished. You know what I mean? I had literally pushed them away to the point where I I didn't remember because I didn't want to remember. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm in that room and I'm having to relive a lot of this stuff. And when it's all said and done, you know, this detective went from being in flat-out disbelief of somebody coming to turn themselves in for a 14-year-old case to, you know, shaking my hand and... and basically hoping that everything turned out all right. And uh, it was, it was very, it was very ordained, Mm. you know, for lack of a better word. And uh, I left, they let me, they let me go home. What did he say? Go home and we'll call you when we're ready. Yeah. Go home and we'll call you. Cause they still had to do follow up because they had to tie up all the loose ends. Uh, Make sure that, you know, I didn't come back and go, you know, I'm just joking. I was coerced, you know. Yeah. You know, anything to try to get out of it. Because, you know, when it hits the fan, I'm telling you, it's uh it's not fun. It was a circus. It uh so a week later, he called me and said, Hey, I need you to I need you to come turn yourself in. And uh, you know, he told me what the charge was. Charge was capital murder. Uh they said because I went in there with a knife, my intention was probably to rob it. Uh, even though the detective asked me in that interview, didn't you see the bag of money or something like that right there by the register? And I told him, you know, no, because it's not what we were there for. You know, we were there for cigarettes, like idiots, you know, stupid. Anyway, so I, Johnny picked me up, my attorney, Johnny Pizzatola, um, picked me up and surrendered me. And, uh, from there, it was it was scary, you know. I didn't know what was going to happen to me, what was going to happen to my family. Right before it, the cap the capital charges, that's one of those things. Just explain the capital charge, what that means, because once they put capital on a felony charge, that gives you opportunity for a life to death sentence. Yeah. So the the death penalty was never on the table because I was a minor at the time. So. A capital charge in 1994 meant that I would have had to do 40 flat years, 40 years, day for day, and before you're eligible for parole. Um, 
the death sentence was not on the table. So it 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 was a capital or we could try to get something lesser. You know, that was basically how it was, you know, I was hoping they wouldn't, you know, the capital, that's and that's super duper. You know, you don't get no more super duper. Than that's that. a life sentence at, at, when you're 30 years old. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was at the time, I think, 29 and uh, 40 years day for day. You know, I'd been 69 before I was even eligible for. Parole. I want to cha- challenge sure. our listeners, too, as well. This is an episode. I mean, we have a lot of a lot of great episodes. I'm telling you, this is an episode. You need to share it. You need to share it on your social media pages. You need to go out there if you're one of these, uh, you know, older uh, listeners and don't know how to do that. Ask your grandson. Ask your granddaughter. Share this story. People need to hear it. Awesome, awesome. All right, we love you. <laughs>